You're listening to a message from Heritage Christian Fellowship in San Clemente, California. For more information, go to heritagesc.org. Happy Father's Day. Uh, my name is Jared. I'm one of the pastors on staff and, and excited to be here. Good morning. And uh, yeah, it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's nice to be with you. Uh, this is a picture of my son, Joel. Uh, he's my middle child. And uh, we were hanging out at a friend's house. And he is a, a motorcycle officer. And uh, I saw the bike in the garage. And I had to put my son on it and take a picture because it was such a reminder for me of what like my childhood was like uh, because my dad rode motors. And uh, so I took this picture and I sent it to my dad. I'm like, dad, look at how the generations have, have, have come. And uh, this is me when I was a kid. And because my dad rode motors for LAPD and uh, I used to sit on his bike and, and play and uh, yeah, it was just, it was, it was fascinating to me. It was fascinating to me because my dad was like a really fascinating person. He was a larger than life kind of personality. He was kind of gnarly actually. He was such a fearless guy. Uh, this is a, a picture of him. Um, he was my superhero when I was a kid. And I, I looked at him as like, like just this all-powerful guy who would go off into this mysterious world and help people. And I didn't really, I mean, I knew who he was, but I had this like certain understanding of what he was like. And now after 40 years, uh, I've come to know him so much more. He's still a superhero to me, but I know him in so many other ways. I know his heart now. I know that uh, he, he, I know what makes him laugh. I know what makes him cry. I know uh, that he's vulnerable. And uh, I mean, he still is just, he's, he's amazing. And our relationship has grown tremendously. And I have a huge respect for my dad and I love him. And, and I bring this up because I, I see my dad's heart and it's through those experiences that are just like our relationship with Jesus, right? I, I'm, my hope is that for you, uh, that, that God's been drawing you in, and at some point, God drew you into Jesus, and you began a relationship with him. And you were that little kid who was excited and getting to know who Jesus is and what Jesus is like, but I over time, your relationship grows and it develops. And there is always more for us. There is always more details. There is always more depths to God's love, to just the, the powerful presence of Jesus that we can continue to dive into further and further and further. I think a lot of us, I think a lot of people throughout our country and probably throughout the world are asking the question of, why do we go to church right now? Like, what's the point? You know, like, yeah, we had this little, uh, we had a good amount of time off. Do we really need this thing? Like, what, what's so important about gathering in the presence on a Sunday morning? And I hope that you're with me that it is extremely important 
is extremely important because it is where we learn and we grow and we are challenged and, and we just get new images and new understandings of who our Savior truly is. And when we experience the presence of Jesus' Spirit and, and, and we learn more details, more depth through the Bible, that we are just transformed and we walk out of this building someone different than when we walked in. And, and today, that's my prayer. My prayer is that, that this church is a place where we are constantly challenging ourselves to know and to grow closer to Jesus. And it's all about Jesus. If you are new, if you are watching online and you're new, what is your view of Jesus? Who do you say he is? And if you are a veteran of the faith, my hope today is that you'll ask that same question, but I really want to challenge you to look at your motivations when it comes to your relationship. And we're going to be looking at John chapter 6, and we're going to be challenged a little bit about what our motivations are when we come to God. So because Jesus is what it's all about, we are in a series titled, I Am. And uh, this is a, a series that we started last week. Uh, Peter kicked it off. And we're looking at these statements from the Gospel of John where Jesus declares something about himself. And he says, I am. Last week we talked about I am the way, the truth, and the life. And this week we're going to talk about I am the bread of life. And we're going to be getting into John's Gospel in John chapter 6. But the first thing I need to tell you is that whenever we read a statement in the Bible where Jesus is saying, I am, I am something, our brains should immediately be reminded of Exodus 3. And in Exodus 3, God is calling Moses and saying, hey, Moses, I need you to go and rescue my people out of slavery in Egypt. And, and Moses is a little nervous about it, and he asks God, okay, I will go, but when I get there, who do I say is sending me? And this is what God says to Moses. He says, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. This is a, a very unique name. I am. I am who I am. It's a bit ambiguous. It's like, what are you really trying to say? And I think what God is saying here is that I am what I am. God is what God is. There is no box. There is no definition. He will not allow you or me or anyone else to define his nature. Only God can do that. And what's awesome about that is to do that, he, be, he takes on flesh so that we can truly see who he is. So when we read these statements about Jesus saying, I am he is revealing to us what God is like. And he's providing that path and that understanding of how we can have a relationship with the creator God. So if you will, turn with me to John chapter six, uh, page or pixel. Um, there is, this is a long chapter. I'm not gonna read the entire thing, but I'm gonna show you, uh, we're gonna kind of bounce around through a few different uh, parts of it. Um, in the, in John chapter 6 are kind of three main stories, and uh, so we're going to kind of touch on each one of them. I love the Bible. 
I'm so passionate about the Bible. I hope my passion comes through. And I hope that as you guys are a part of our church, that we continue to be more and more thoughtful Christians who have a better understanding of what the Bible is truly saying and what its meanings are. Um, One thing you need to know is that the authors of the Bible were brilliant. They were brilliant and they were brilliantly inspired. And it is through this interesting relationship with God that the scriptures come to life. And they put little things in there, little clues that are really meant to give us more understanding. How many of you guys ever watched like a detective show? Um, Maybe uh, like Law and Order or something where there's kind of these twists or mysteries. And so the authors write in these little clues along the way that are to help you to kind of see where the story's going. Often it's, you know, even to misdirect the audience. Um, Same for these authors. They're putting in clues, only they're not trying to misdirect you. They're trying to give you more information. So a couple times through John chapter 6, I'm going to ask you, what is the clue here? And it's going to help kind of provide some insight and into some meaning and some application for our lives today. Ready? Whether you like it or not. Okay. Uh, It starts on a mountainside. Uh, Jesus went up on a mountainside and he sat down with his disciples. And the Jewish Passover festival was near. This is clue number one. What's the first clue? Passover. The Jewish Passover festival was near. There was something going on. John specifically adds this in there because he wants to trigger in the audience's mind the fact that Passover, the time when God brought Israel out of Egypt, when, when, when he parted the Red Sea, when, when, he, when in the wilderness he provided them with manna, when he delivered them into the promised land. It's under this context that this whole story happens. Okay? First clue. When Jesus looked around, he saw a great crowd. There was a ton of people there. There was 5,000 men. Some scholars say there might have been up to 20,000 people present. News of Jesus is kind of traveling around, and people are interested in who this guy is and what he is about. And the disciples and Jesus, they realize, hey, we are a long way from the local market. These people are in need. They're hungry. They're going to need to be fed. And so Jesus takes the opportunity to teach his disciples and to provide for the people. And what does he do? What happens? He takes five loaves, two fish, and he blesses them. He gives thanks and he distributes them. And, and this little sack lunch feeds thousands of people, thousands of people. And, and it says even that they had as much as they wanted. When God provides, he gives us fullness, right? This massive amount of people, and they have a need. They're hungry. This is good news for us. This is good news for us, that Jesus actually cares about our needs, and after, after he feeds everyone, he gathers them and he fills up how many baskets? How many? Twelve. This is our next clue. Twelve. Why is this important? How many, how many tribes were there in Israel? How many disciples did Jesus have? Twelve, right? You guys, you get where we're going with this. Okay, there's something significant about this. I, I was reading... Um, 
I was listening to John Piper talk about this passage. He's an author and pastor and really looks a lot like Larry David, if you know who the guy is. But he, he was talking about how to him this was significant, that Jesus would have 12 baskets left over, that there was one for every disciple, that Jesus provides. He was teaching his disciples that, hey, when we're working together, I am going to provide to you what you need. One basket, not 12 baskets, not a half a basket, just enough. If you ever read Proverbs 30, it's like this idea of God, just give me what I need. You see, our needs matter to Jesus. This is the first point. This is what we learn. We have needs. We're hungry. We're, we need food. God, God created us this way. We need sleep. We need rest. We need fellowship. We need community. We need shelter. We have natural needs, and God cares about them. We're, 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 we're not just some spiritual beings that have these just earthly issues. Like No, like we have actual needs, and God cares about them. And this is good for us. After this happens, the people saw the sign that Jesus performed and they began to say, surely this is the prophet who is come into the world. And when people see the miracle, they begin to say, well, hey, there's something good's going on here, right? And, and when it says this uh, is the prophet, they're not just talking about some mouthpiece, uh, the, like the new mouthpiece of God. They're talking about the true prophet, the one that was to come to really redeem and to restore. I mean, they had great hopes for this son of man. I mean, they, they were being oppressed. They wanted a king. They wanted a king like David. And so they're thinking, gosh, this is the guy. This is the guy to restore us. We're being oppressed by Rome right now. Let's, 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 let's make this guy king and let's go take back. Let's dominate the world. And Jesus sees this and he knows this. And so he, he sees what they intended to do and he knows where he has to go. They want to make him king by force. And so he withdrew again to the mountainside by himself. He does not let this happen. He does not want to get the fathers rightly promised in the wrong way. He wants to go about it. He knows that his path is going to be to the cross and to his death. The, the evening comes, Jesus retreats, and so the, uh, off to it, it himself, he's in retreat. It sounds like he kind of gives up. That's not what I mean. Jesus goes off, and the disciples decide that, hey, it's, it's evening comes, it's time to take off to the next stop. They're going off to Capernaum. And so when evening came, his disciples went down to the lake where they got into the boat and they set off across. By now it was dark, and Jesus had not yet joined them. And then what happens? The wind picks up. A storm starts to brew. And the Sea of Galilee is actually like, it's, it's three miles underneath the, or uh, 600 feet or so below sea level. And it has these mountains and great winds would come through. And even to this day, boats have to be docked because it can be very stormy and very dangerous. It's dark. It's windy. They're headed off course. I was even reading this week, it talked about how uh, the Jewish people were not known for their sailing prowess. There were other, other cultures around this time that were really good on the sea, but for the Jews, they had a lot of fear when it came to the sea. The sea represented mystery, it represented death, it represented chaos. 
you know, and they are scared. They're, they're worried and, they're, and they're, they're not getting to where they plan to go. And in the midst of that, they see Jesus walking towards them, walking on water. And it says they're frightened, but then they're willing to take him into their boat and immediately the boat reached the shore where they were heading. Jesus gets in the boat and the problem is solved. Now, why is this story right here sandwiched between two stories about bread? No pun intended. Sandwich bread. Why? Why is this here? Okay, what was clue number one? Passover. Passover. For those that are paying attention, two points. Passover. Okay, what, what, what was Passover about? Remember? They, 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 the Israelites are coming out of Egypt, and right when they're getting rescued, they're being chased down by Pharaoh, and they're about to, their, their lives are in danger, and they have the sea in front of them. And what, is, what does God do? He parts the Red Sea. You know, this is, this is the, the, John is trying to remind the people that when there are problems, when there are things that are broken, when things that are happening, God is here and he's willing to walk on water. He's willing to part the sea. Jesus is doing something new. He's trying to remind them that our needs matter to Jesus and our problems matter to Jesus. They matter so much that he will do a miracle to feed us, to take care of our needs, and he's willing to walk on water to take care of our problems. Anyone here got needs? Anyone here got problems? We all do. And this is a good thing that God actually cares about them. He's engaged with what is going on in our lives. And the, and the crowd sees this, and the crowd Man, now, they're, now, they're, now they're, their curiosity is really perked. They've really got some questions. Rabbi, when did you get here? You know, where did you go? You know, you did that miracle before, and we saw you. You weren't with these guys before, and now you're with them. Well, what's up with your transportation methods? Where, where were you? How come when we, were, we wanted to make you king and you disappeared? What's going on? And typical Jesus, typical Jesus, he sees right through what they're asking and he gets right at the heart. And I think this is, gets to the heart of us and our relationship with Jesus as well. Right to their motivation. Jesus answered, very truly I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Not because you saw the signs, but because you ate Right? You didn't come to me. You're not searching for me because you're interested in what God's doing. You're not interested in me. You're interested in, in, in my food, the gift I gave you, the miracle. You're, you're interested in having your needs met. Are they looking for God or are they looking for what God can do for them? And how about you? How about me? Gosh, this has just hit me right between the eyes this week. What are my motivations? Right, why, do you, why do you come to church? Do you come to church just to check a box? Do you, do, do you, do you go to God? Like if you, if you pray in the morning, do you go to him with just like your checklist of like, here's what I need you to do today. This is my agenda. Take care of it. Or do you go before God to just sit in the Father's arms? 
What do you do? Why, why? You know, do you do good? Why do you do good? Why do you care for people? Do you feel guilty? Do you feel obligated? Or do you just do it out of love? What is your motivation? Sometimes I think we try to manipulate God and we try to get him to do what we want him to do. I love my children dearly, but they love their video games dearly. I mean, they really love video games. And I don't think I really have a problem with video games totally, but my mind's not completely made up. But they, they love video games, and we have rules about when they can play video games and when they can't. And during school time, there's just no video games during the week. And then on the weekends, it's like we have like limitations. We, we'll, we'll let you play. I'm not a teetotaler about it, but we don't want too many video game binges, if you will. And, uh, but they're smart. They're so smart. They're so smart. And so they'll, they'll get me, and, the, and they'll come to me, and they'll be like, Dad, hey, we love you. You're awesome. N- Nolan especially. He's, he's, he's just, ah, he's good at this, okay? So he'll be like, Dad, we love you. We care about you. Like, hey, you know what we really like to do? We love hanging out with you. We should play video games together. And then they'll, they'll, they'll be like, oh, you, you, you want to play FIFA? Don't you like FIFA? Like, we like soccer, right? Let's play a game of soccer. And being the loving and foolish dad that I am, I will say, all right, let's do it. And sometimes on a weeknight when we have school, but I'll give in because I want to be with them. And then we'll start playing. And then after one game, they'll be like, hey, we're going to change it. We're going to play something else. You can watch. It's like, oh, what, what was their motivation? Was their motivation to have me? Or, or, or was their motivation to have what I provided? Right? Do you ever play these games with God? I love this photo. It's in the Sistine Chapel. It's just so brilliant. Right? God's reaching out, and man's just like, eh, eh, let me, well, what can you do for me? Right? Do you guys play this? If you will just do this, God, then I will, I'll worship you, yeah, but here, take care of my stuff. Take care of my needs. I remember I was working in real estate for just a small amount of time, making no money. And I remember being like, God, if you could just help me close this deal, if you could just help me close this deal, I will totally give a portion to charity. I, if, if you would just, God, if you could just make this problem go away, I'll say thank you. I'll worship you. I don't want to have this awkward conversation. Please just remove it from my plate. And then, it's a conditional thing. But our needs still matter. Our needs matter to Jesus. Our problems matter to Jesus. Our bodies need food, and our storms can be dangerous. But they are temporary. And Jesus knows that there's something much more greater than our physical needs and, and, and our worldly problems. And there are things that are eternal. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. He's, he's like, right, yeah, you guys get it. Like, I think you see where this is going. I'm the Son of Man, like, and God has put his approval on me. It's all about Jesus. And I have this gift, and it's eternal life. And it's something so much greater 
See, see, there's so much greater than the needs of our belly. It's the nourishment of our soul. And they are like, okay, what, what must we do to do the works God requires? What do we got to do then to get it? What, what, what's our, how do we earn this? What's it going to cost me? And Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. To believe. Don't have an agenda. Don't have an agenda. Just believe. Just have, put your trust, put your faith. Don't, don't come to, with the, the needs list and the problems list first. Just come to me, for me. Believe. Have faith. Trust that I will provide for you. Trust that I'll get you through the storm. Trust that any situation you go through, cancer, divorce, broken bones, injustice, job loss, whatever it is, can, can, can you trust and can you just have faith? Can you just, just believe, just believe that I care enough about you to get you through it? You see, this word believe, this is a scary thing. This is a scary thing to really do it, to really live it. And I, I, I struggle with this word. Sometimes I look at it and I'm like, I, I don't know what you mean, God. Like, what do you mean? Do I just think? Is it just a brain thing? Is it just like, like I believe this is a computer? Or is it more than that? Like, how do I actually, is it, is it a prayer? Do I just gotta say a prayer? Does that count as believing? Or is it with my whole life? Is it with my family? Is it with my work? Is it with my church? Is it everything? Just believe. I have two, two stories I wanna share with you that I think illustrate what believe really means. And it's mysterious and it's scary. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not gonna fully be able to explain it to you but I just know that God is faithful and that Jesus is who he says he is and life comes from it. I, I was talking to a woman this week who um, we got on the subject of, of, of church and God and, and she just glowed with just love for Jesus. And she was talking about how she's kind of like that, she turned into that like, that like crazy Jesus lover person. She's like, I never thought I'd be that way. But she lost her brother three years ago and she's just been heartbroken, and she's been so sad. But over those three years of just a gnarly storm, God has just shown up in such a way that she knows him. She knows Jesus in such new and fresh ways that she just teared up with joy, with life. And she was like, oh, he's so good. It's like, wow. This week for me, I, I was... It's, it's been, it's been a, a pretty busy season around here, let's be honest. And I was having a little bit of a tough week, had a few difficult conversations with a few different people, and man, towards the end, I was like, ah, oh, it's getting a little worn out. And then I called Dan Gilson, who goes to our church, and it was like God's voice just spoke through him as a mouthpiece right to my soul, right to my heart, and he was like, oh, Jared, don't worry, don't worry, God is with you. God, this is, the church is Jesus's. This isn't, oh, don't worry about this stuff. And it's like, oh, man, I've been on cloud nine since. I'm like, oh yeah, that's right. I don't need to worry about this. 
But it's a, you know, I, I have needs. I have problems. And, but they matter. They matter and Jesus is in it. But if Jesus is in our, to our problems and, and, and cares about our needs, then he's going to be up to something. And it's always going to be something new. God's doing something new in, in each one of our lives. And, and, and we see it in this story, right? They ask, okay, well, all right, you're, you're going you're gonna to provide for us this eternal life. Well, this bread, explain it to us. What, like, prove it. What kind of sign are we going to get? You know, our faith tradition, we had our ancestors, they got manna. This is what we're looking for. We're looking for, for you know, you to provide something along the lines of what you've done before. He gave them bread to eat from heaven. We like the way that things were. Very truly, I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. You see, this thing, this thing is like the Passover. It's like it, but it's not the same. It's new. It's new. It's not, the Passover did not have the same power that I bear. Don't miss it. Don't miss it. This is the bread of life. This is the new thing. I was trying to think of like, how do you describe the new thing? Like, how do you, like, what, what in our world that is like, ah, it's kind of like the old. Like, it's similar. Like, God's providing, but it's new. It's new. And all I could think about was the Tesla truck. It's like, it's a truck, but it's new. I don't know if this is a good analogy, to be honest with you, but it's certainly an interesting looking vehicle, isn't it? It's new. Ah, I want the new. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. We want it. Okay, we're in. What is it? What is this bread that, that helps with all of this eternal life? And Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. It's Jesus. We need Jesus. You need Jesus. I need Jesus. Every pastor that stands before you in a pulpit needs Jesus. Every, 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 every police officer, every, 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 every protester, every politician, what's the answer to our broken world? It's the bread of life. It's Jesus himself. It's Jesus himself. And I think we are all so keenly aware of our needs and our problems. And oftentimes, we want to solve them ourselves. We want to row out of the storm just on our own. And we're guilty of, of, of savior substitutes. Savior substitutes. This was like the, the phrase that, that Jim Glenn told me about this week. Savior substitutes. Where, where I, I think I can meet my needs in another way. Right? I think I can solve my problems in another way. You know, if I can just, if I can convince you guys that I'm smart and that you'll like me, then, then maybe I won't feel so lonely. 
you know, for, for, for some of us, maybe it's, 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 it's the money. It's like, oh man, if I just have a certain number in my bank account, then, oh, then I'll finally, I will truly be secure. All right, if I, can, if I can just look a certain way, if I can dress a certain way. Some of us find it in relationships. Like if I can just, if, if my, I find it my, like my wife, like you, you're the one that's supposed to fix me. Why are you treating me this way? But it doesn't work like that. The thing that we need is Jesus, the bread of life. And gosh, people, let's just be honest. We're in, the, we're in one of the richest communities in the world. We're in South Orange County. This is a lot harder for us to grasp than people who are really broken, who really are in need, who are living day to day. And there's a ton of people out there. We're in the small, small, small percentage but every single one of us needs Jesus. And Jesus said to them, Verily, truly, I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Substitute saviors don't work. They don't work. And we all need to be reminded of this. We all need to be reminded of this regularly. This is why church is so important. This is why we need to gather in community. This is why we need to be a family. Because in the power of family, we get to remind each other. We get to say, hey, don't forget. Don't forget, Jesus is the real answer. He's the bread of life. I am the bread of life. And what's crazy is that Jesus goes to the cross goes to the cross to prove it, to give his life, to show how much he cares and how much he loves. And, and so we're, we're going to finish uh, our service right now. We're going we're gonna to start to worship. And so I'd love to invite uh, our friends back up. Um, and as we finish by worshiping the bread of life, I want to talk about what our homework is. What's the application Okay, God, Jesus cares about our needs. You've got needs, I've got needs. He cares about those. The, the, these are, these, this is true. We have problems, you have problems, I got problems. God cares about them, he wants them in it. But he cares about our souls more than anything. And he wants our relationship. He wants the motivation of why we come and sing and worship and praise and why we spend time with him to just have him. Not to have all of our needs met and our problems that they matter, but he wants us to have him. So this is the homework for this week. Every day this week, when you get up, here's the question. Oh, it disappeared. There it is. These are the two questions. Is my heart for the bread or is it for the bread of life? Are you going to God and being like, hey, I just, I need you to give me these things. I need you to take care of this stuff. I got this problem. You figure out this problem, then I'll come and I'll worship you. Or is it just, hey, I, I, I want you, Jesus. I want the true bread of life. The true bread of life that's going to nourish my soul. And then I, I think this is the next question, right? This is like, is it going to be manna? We, we had manna before. That worked. No, we're doing something new. 
something new. What's new? What is new that is happening in your life? Jesus wants to do something new. He wants to do something new in your life because he wants you to drop more and more into his presence, more and more into his love, into the details, into knowing him in relationship, not being that little kid who sat on the bike anymore. He wants that life. What is it new? What is the new thing at your work? What is the new thing at your family? What's the new thing here at church? What's God doing? This is a question to ask every day this week. Let's just see if it reframes what that relationship is really like. Let me pray. God, we love you. And God, would you just, would you reveal our hearts right now? God, I, I repent. I have moments where I just, I, I, I want what I want. But what I need is you. We need you. Bread of life, come. Holy Spirit, flow in this place. Thank you for listening. We hope you tune in next week. For more information, go to heritagesc.org.